गुड मॉर्निंग आफ्टरनून एंड इवनिंग दिस इज दिन एक्सपीरियंस डॉक्यूमेंटिंग इंटरव्यूज एंड कॉन्वर्सेशन बिटवीन फर्स्ट जेनरेशन स्टूडेंट्स एंड दूनिवर्सिटी In today's episode, one of these podcasts spearheads Jonathan Hart speaks with Norman Hilker, our sound editor, and introduces the conversation episodes we plan to continue this podcast series with. They delve into their past and cultural backgrounds as well as how these identities correlate and directly connect with their primary interest as college juniors. John talks about his hobbies in animation and skateboarding. while Norman takes a deep dive into his journey in filmmaking recorded in person in a friends hall auditorium on March 13th 2021 we hope you enjoy there's the the podcast picture right there <laughs> yeah. see that that click though that was insanely loud yeah definitely yeah okay so what's next how are we going to start the podcast what um, about we're already starting right now longer the better. Honestly, yeah. It's it's recording now. I thought I was recording before, but okay, then I looked yeah. down and I I cut the other audio, but I yeah. actually forgot to start recording. Cool. Um but yeah. I don't know. I haven't had really any I feel like we have a lot of good ideas for the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um let me pull up the document so that I can yeah. like uh, Is that the podcast ideas doc or the podcast structure one? Oh, um I was thinking about just like the I mean kind of both honestly. Oh, okay, good. Um I'll pull up both. Yeah. I also have uh that one pulled up too, so. Yes. Um So what are we thinking the first gen experience? Yeah, I mean the first gen experience. I we say it like it's like a like an amusement park ride <laughs> like <laughs> yeah it's like space mountain but it's the first gen experience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did look up like first gen f g e n and you know those those sort of keywords on mm-hmm. spotify to see if anything like that was you know stolen or taken yeah that's a better term to use and i only saw like a couple and they just they looked like they were both part of um you know different schools that were doing their own sort of first generation student podcast mm-hmm. except it wasn't like a fancy title so right the fancy titles are ours Yes. Um what is do have we decided on a title or like Well, I mean like the ones we have on there are the FGen experience, right? That's that's a good one. There's UPFGen, mm-hmm. which is a lot of capitalized letters, but it's shortened to the point. There's FGen on FGen, which you know, it sounds a little pseudo intellectual. I don't even know what I'm <laughs> Yeah, FGen on FGen. <laughs> so it honestly sounds a little dirty too. <laughs> yeah, it kind of does. Yeah. Um it's like a late night talk show like psychologist or something. Yeah. Um but then a subtitle idea is the University of Portland first generation student experience. Which okay. is exactly what it is, but it's a mouthful. Yeah, that is a mouthful. I kind of like the FGen experience. Yeah, I think experience. yeah. And then I don't know. There could be like the acronym could just be like T F E. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Oh yeah. I don't like the Joe Rogan experience is J R E. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. As long as it's not like an acronym for something that already exists, 
I don't think. Yeah, it honestly, TFE, I can't think of anything. Yeah. So. And besides, F Gen Experience just it's a cool ring to it. Honestly. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's it's not like the F Gen Experience. It's not like you're experiencing the F Gen. It's like people's experiences. Yeah. So it's like um, I don't know. Basically, I guess we could talk about like the idea for it a little bit and absolutely, go yeah. Into I mean, detail like, with that. Yeah, like you're you're spearheading this project with uh, Melanie. So, um, yeah, yes. can you explain for our audience what uh, this podcast is about? Yeah, honestly, before I get into it, don't let Norman belittle himself either. He's <laughs> just as much a part of it. But um, <laughs> you're in this as deep as we are at this point. Well, um, but basically. This podcast is a chance to kind of advocate for FGen students in the way that we're giving them a platform to share their experiences. Um, and it's not just students. It can also be faculty and staff. Um, at this point, I believe all the recording that has been done on Mel's side has been with students. Um, but definitely we're open to like faculty and staff coming on um, but basically, the idea is you come on, you talk about your experience as a first-gen student, you talk about your other identities if you want to, and where that intersects with, with being like a first-gen student. Um, but pretty much like the floor is open to our guests to talk about like whatever they want to talk about. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Could be whatever passions you have. They could be related to first-gen or they could be something completely different. Like. Mm -hmm. Um, if you really like to like rock climb while wearing a onesie, like that's dope. We want to hear about that on the show. That's incredibly yeah. specific. That's uh, just a random example. <laughs> I am not somebody who participates in that, but um, well, if, if yeah, if somebody did, we'd love to hear about it. Um, and I don't know. I wouldn't like to say that the podcast is exclusive to F Gen students, but it really is. Um, mm -hmm. It is like exclusive to FGen students, but in another way, it's very inclusive of FGen students because it's open for you to talk about, you know, whatever you want. Exactly. Um, yeah. And we do have like some basic questions um, that you can use to like guide your talk. Um, basically, like one of them is, what does your FGen identity mean to you? Um, and for example, Norman can answer this question right now, and then there's like a good idea um, of what you could say. Yeah, um, and I, I feel bad saying this because I say this so much whenever I am asked about first gen, whether it's with um, you know people I know or friends or family or even in like interviews. But um, and you can even like find this quote of mine online somewhere. But to me, being F gen means that um, you just have a weight to carry that's that not everyone else is going to have. And, you know, I came into it, I came into first gen um, before my years of college even began. Like, I got an email from Matt Daly, who is part of the Shepherd Academic Resource Center, and he's, um, you know, the head of the, uh, the first generation uh, student program here. And um, he pretty much sent out an email to me saying, like, hey, you qualify for the first gen program. Why don't you come along for a summer launch pre-orientation for first gen, incoming first gen freshmen? And I looked into it and I was like, what the hell is first gen? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I was looking it up and it just occurred to me, 
Yeah, like I knew that my parents did not graduate from college. Now, I will admit that they did take a few years of college, but not enough to, um, you know, you know, not not all four years, not like a not like a bachelor's or anything. And, um, you know, I went into it thinking, oh, wow, this is something that's going to, you know, help define me. It's going to be something that's going to look good on my resume. And, uh, you know, that'll make me shine more than other candidates if I'm like, you know, interviewing for a job or something. And I think it was through, I don't think it was through, it was through um, that summer launch pre-orientation with those first-gen freshmen that I started to really understand like where everyone was coming from. These were all people from different backgrounds than me. They were also in different parts of Portland and they were even uh, students from all across the nation and even across the globe too who came to, um, who came to the summer launch. And seeing that, that really just struck a chord with me, but in such a good way, in that um, this was this was just something that was going to be different for me. The same way that I was anticipating college to be something very different than what I had experienced um, in elementary school and middle school and high school, because I went to school in Lake Oswego, Oregon, which is um, it, it it's it's funny because this is like a, the first like official thing in which I could be really talking about um. um you know, my pre-college experience in that um, Lake Oswego was just simply not the best place to grow up in. The people just weren't, they weren't the nicest. And uh, <laughs> it just, um, it, it, there, were, there were good days, but there were also plenty of days where I just felt like, um, you know, my voice wasn't always um, brought to the table or it was pretty much the the shortest way I can say it is that it's just full of a bunch of rich, entitled people. Because Lake Oswego is like a rich suburb of Portland. And um, yeah, so it was just, it was good to finally get out of that environment because for me, it just fostered this sort of environment where it was just a big bubble. And, you know, coming to college, it just made me realize like, hey, wait a minute, I could poke my way out of this bubble. I could break this bubble. And, uh, you know, Summer Launch was the, my first sort of um, experience in getting out of it. And um, it just felt like a weight had literally been carried off of me, but at the same time, I'm still carrying this weight in that I am a first-generation student. I got to make my parents proud, got to make my family proud. And um, yeah, so I feel like all the struggles that I have had in college have just been related more towards um, time management. And, you know, the same sort of things that all, you know, typical college students would go through. But I'm also first generation. So, you know, the struggles that I could be going through may also be psychological, too. And that, um, you know, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to get through it, you know. <laughs> yeah. That's why I can say it. But, yeah, the way it means to me is that um, we have, we have a lot going on for us. And uh, we're we're going through it yeah i mean <laughs> we're just going through it like everybody else is going through it of course you know being like a first gen student it's like you know your family doesn't really have that understanding of like what you're going through necessarily and like as much as they love you and want to support you it's like you know your college experience isn't something you can really 
talk to them about and then they can relate back and be like, oh, I've been there or, you know, this is what you should do um, and just give you, you know, advice on that subject. So it's definitely um, it's definitely something that is makes us independent in a way where a lot of the stuff we're going through and a lot of the ways we're learning to like deal with time management and stuff like that um, and financial costs, financial burdens too, is like this is stuff we kind of got to figure out on our own um, for a lot of the part. And luckily we have such a good like first generation community here that helps us as well. Um, Because I mean, not going to lie, my first gen experience, you know, has been Pretty, pretty different than yours, I would say, because I honestly didn't come into the program until like my junior year It's like when I really started participating and really just like accepting that part of my identity. Um, because I don't know, beforehand in, in high school, um, especially like I kind of relate to your struggle on kind of just dealing with like rich people who feel entitled or kind of mean, um, you know, don't necessarily treat you with respect. Um, and I guess, I don't know, I, I was tired of, you know, being made a fun of for being like the poor kid, you know? Um, I totally was too. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And I was just like, you know, at first, you know, it didn't bother me too much and I never really let it like totally get to my head, but I was just like, man, like, screw this, like, who cares, you know, how much money my family has, um, it's like, I feel like that doesn't really matter, and that doesn't really say anything about a person's character, um, but I guess because of that kind of, um, experience I had dealing with people who were just like, you know, oh, look, poor kid, it's (laughs) like, I kind of hid that identity for, for a while in college, and I, you know, my my parents couldn't really help me with with the whole college experience. Like, of course, they they support me as much as they can. You know, you know, financially and emotionally, emotionally. But um, I don't know. It, it wasn't until the end of sophomore year where I kind of came to Matt and I was like, Hey, here's the deal. I am poor. Um, I'm a first generation student, and I need help. Like, I need instruction i need like guidance and then i i came to matt asking him if he could just help me find a job just so i could pay for like the necessities you know like like food and like soap shampoo and stuff like that um and matt of course um being you know the biggest advocate for first generation students on campus not even a first generation student or faculty member himself um he just you know, he loves us and supports us in that way. He um, he connected me with so many different people. Of course, my resume only consisting of my previous laser tag job didn't really help me find a job. <laughs> but um, eventually, Matt, the person who I came to for help, ended up being the person who hired me. Um, and since then, I've just had such a good experience with this community. And it's like everybody, like I literally love all of like our ambassadors and like staff, like everybody is great and like open and accepting and friendly and like kind. And it's just like a community that I'm like, how did I go on so long in college? Like before, you know, like finding this. And yeah. it was like, I, I've said this before, but 
initially when I got Matt Daly's emails, I thought it was like the Matt Daly email because I thought it was <laughs> yeah. sent out every day. Yeah, I didn't know too. that was his last name. And honestly, it's a really good last name. Like Maybe I like Matt that is last an acronym. name. Matt, yeah, Matt is an acronym. What would it, what would it be? Mutually achievable tests to go. Yes. <laughs> daily. <laughs> daily. <laughs> that is some information that I need daily. Wow. But yeah, no, I literally thought it was just a daily email that was sent out. Yeah. And I didn't know that this was like an actual, like, I didn't know Matt like that. So and I then the next like, day when you this? don't get an email, his name's supposed to be Matt Daly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it all connected. Yeah, that yeah. one time I didn't get an email, I was like, wait. <laughs> but yeah. um, no, it, I mean... Yeah, being being first gen to me just means being ready to to keep moving forward even when things get like really tough or when it's like really frustrated. Like you have no ideal idea how to like deal with a certain part of college or just navigate the college life. You still have to be ready to like make a step forward because you know, there's your family is relying on you for one, you know, you're trying to push them forward. And, you know, for like a lot of us, it's like, um, you know, our parents might not have had like the easiest lives at all. And us, I mean, we have the privilege of going to this school for one. So it's like, obviously, they've worked like their asses off in order to like put us into this school and like to get us to this space and this program. Um, and now it's our turn. Yeah. Um, and soon enough, we'll be graduates and... Um, you know, we'll be helping to take care of them. So yeah, that's the goal. That's the goal for me, at least. I don't know. Everybody has different goals, but I just want to be able to eventually, you know, be that like that caretaker figure for my parents because, um, you know, they sacrificed so much to get me here. And, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. yeah. And college now is, and, and you know, I, I probably wouldn't know what it's like because I was definitely not alive in their time. But college now is so much different than it was then. So, you know, there there probably could have been even more struggles that, um, you know, our parents or the generation of all of our parents have been going through uh, during that time. So, yeah, we just simply want to know what that's like. But I yeah. like what you were saying about how um, the way for what first gen means to you, especially you coming from someone who had just recently joined um, first gen compared to you know like me and other students um, it's really just about coming together and finding like a real community for, you, for yourself and I know that um, you know for some it may mean like oh that doesn't really do much you're just like coming together you know I mean I understand that but where there's just like a there's an inherent sort of subtle thing that we're all striving for as humans and that is connection Mm -hmm. And we don't want to be alone in this universe. And for something like first gen, we can still um, be able to collaborate and we can still be able to um, come together and share our similarities and try and see what else that we do share. And whether that's through a computer screen and a camera or, you know, in a classroom setting like we are right now, um, it, it's, it's beautiful. And it's something to really cherish and not everyone will experience that. So I'm just glad that college can still provide that opportunity. Yeah. And I mean, I agree with you as like 
some people are like, oh, you know, I don't need that community. Like, you know, I got my own thing going on. But like, you know, for, for other people, like this community is like, is like huge for them. And it's like a huge part of their life. Mm -hmm. And like, obviously, everybody is going to consider their first gen identity to be like either like a big or a smaller part of like their identity as a whole. And like for me personally, um, like I said, like I, I'm still pretty new to this community um, comparatively to like other people. Thankfully, I've been like welcomed in and like everything has gone so smoothie, smoothly. Um, just it's gone like, very smoothie. Yeah, smoothie. I mean. Protein or vegan? Oh, honestly, protein, like a strawberry protein smoothie right now would oh, be yeah. insane. Um, I love smoothies. By the way, we're going to be uh, taking a lot of detours like that through a lot of this podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the things we're actually kind of pushing for is to, yeah. you know, go off topic and just talk about whatever you want. If there isn't an error in any of our podcasts, then something's wrong. Yeah. Um, not to talk about Jamba Juice, but I think there's much better smoothie shops out there. I just want to say that, like... Um, <laughs> I had a Jamba Juice gift card. I couldn't even find a Jamba Juice around like the Portland area. The gift oh, wow. card's expired now. Um, there might be one around here. I don't know though. Um, but yeah, the gift card is expired. So I will be getting my smoothies elsewhere. One will turn up eventually. Um, yeah. Please sponsor us Jamba Juice by the way. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah. Um, uh, like I was saying, before we kind of got off track, I just wanted to say that like, for me, who is like someone who is still newer to the first gen community, you know, maybe being a first gen student is not like my biggest identity, but one of my biggest identities is kind of this desire to play like a support role for others. And that definitely combines with my first gen identity in like a big way and it creates like this own thing where it's just like I want to be able to support others within this community mm -hmm. and it's where it's not like my my biggest passion isn't about being first gen itself as like a concept but rather about you know supporting first gen students and bringing people within this community you know together and that is really um, something that's difficult to do, of course, right now during COVID. Um, but hopefully next year, you know, I, I'd say next year, it might even be later this year. Hopefully that becomes a thing again. It might even be two years. Yeah, it might be, it might be two years. It might never happen again. And we just, you know, are in the matrix at this point. Yeah. But, um, yeah, um, didn't mean to uh red pill you all on that no, i'm kidding i i hate when people say oh i don't mean to like red pill you on this i've never heard red pill as a verb before yeah it's just such like a it's kind of like a condescending thing to say in my opinion um could be yeah i'm sure people don't mean it in that way most of the time i like your talk about um you know embracing the support role because whenever i think of the word support i think of like in a movie or game and there's like a military squad of like there's a tank and there's attackers and there's support mm -hmm. and then that's that's just it and i think of like whenever i you know when if i like play games or if i watch a movie i like i feel i feel more for like the you know the the pawns of the chessboard or like the um the people who are like dealing the most damage you know and so 
um, you know, the way that you talk about support, it makes me think like that it is always necessary and it's always, um, you know, it's not just, you know, it's, it's about defense and about, you know, lifting up yourself while you're, um, doing your best to lift up others, like within a community or a certain setting like that. So, um, I, I just think it's awesome. And be, the way that you talk about it, I just have like a greater appreciation for that. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you, Norman. And I, I, I really like your kind of your metaphor to like a support role in like an army, like platoon or like, in like a video game. Um, I really like those like healer characters, you know, mm-hmm. that like, Oh, like while these while these dudes go mess up the bad guys, you know, I'm gonna sit back and and heal them. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I would say, in relation to first gen, the bad guys might be like, you know, finding an internship is somebody. <laughs> it's some task you gotta defeat, or you know, just like a big exam coming up that could be like, you know, some some enemy or like boss enemy right. or whatever. Um, and I kind of just want to be. Somebody who's there um, to kind of like fuel that that fight, mm-hmm. um, and you know I can go break off and handle my own little situations here and there, whether it be like a test or like a week full of midterms or whatever. I got to go handle my own thing, but I know that like as soon as like I'm that time is freed up, I got to go back and I got to make sure um, everyone else is doing okay because right. that's just. I don't know. That's just something I'm really passionate about, and I just, um, I don't know. You know, you could you you could even get like annoying at times, where it's you know. But it's like, I just I feel like you know whether it's annoying or not. Like I just want to be there for my friends. I want to be there for the people in my community, and that's my job. And my job is to, you know, is to be annoying when people need it or when I think people need it. And it's like, yeah. um, you know, forgive me, but. Um, that's, that's really, uh, what I, what I like to do. Have you found yourself taking the role of support outside of first gen? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, um, for one, like with my family, you know, when I think about them, I I guess this is still kind of related to first gen, but when I think about my mom and my dad, like once I'm done with, with college and I'm graduated and I find a job, like I want to be able to send like them money for like their rent you Mm. know i want i want the roles to kind of reverse and i want to start playing the support role for you know my biggest supporters you know my mom and my dad um and my brother and you know once i can do that then it's like i feel like i will have uh really achieved what i want to for now and i don't know even in like in like my my house like right up the street from here. Like I got a lot of roommates. I got seven roommates. Seven um, roommates. Yeah. And and it's incredible. It's like everybody is so like just like COVID safe. And it's like you would think that implies like kind of being alone for a lot of the time. But mm-hmm. since we have seven roommates, we have this closed social like bubble type situation. Yeah. And it's like I feel like I'm so lucky during – during the pandemic that I just have like a house full of like these friends. Um, and I, I try my best to be like a support role for them or like a, a supporter for them. Like, I don't know, sometimes 
it'll be like, hey, whose dish is that in the sink? Or like, oh, John, is that your sink full of dishes? And it's like, yeah, my bad, guys. I used all seven of these mugs to make burgers last night, obviously. <laughs> and I'll just I'll just be like, I'm going to wash them. Because I know it's like somebody else probably, yeah. you know, was drinking a lot of coffee or something and just left it in there. But um, I don't I don't mind, you know, taking taking the blame for things like that sometimes because mm-hmm. I know it'll make somebody else's life like easier too. Yeah. Um, and like somebody else who might be a bit more sensitive to like that judgment or like the, you know, just the, the role of having to like wash the dishes is like, <laughs> I'll do it, you yeah. know. So um, it sounds like you take like more satisfaction from, you know, doing things for others than you do for yourself or not like that, but like you, you find more satisfaction from doing things for yourself and for others than you do solely for yourself. Yeah, I would say so. I I would say like most things that, you know, if only, if only I'm going to like, like reap the benefits of it. It's like, I would say that's like a secondary or like a, a tertiary like task. My primary task is like, always going to be the one that um that benefits like multiple people right Um, so i don't know that's just like the way i think about it but Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's pretty cool um yeah so that's we can move on to like another another question here on the podcast structure sheet um do you have one that you particularly want to go into? Or? One of the questions that we have? Yeah. We can just go to the next one, which is, uh, what is your greatest passion or aspiration at the moment? I want to I want to hear from you. What is your... I know you're you're really into, like, photography and, like, video stuff. Yeah, um, I mean, like, ever since I was very little, I've just been the biggest fan of movies. And not just, like, movies, but I guess just, like, you know the motion picture or like moving image in order to tell a story. And, you know, when I was deciding upon my major and minor at University of Portland, those were the two things I kind of like look back to, like, like my main interest and my forte is film and filmmaking and editing and even shooting stuff too. And, you know, later on down the line, it could be directing or writing or acting or really on down the line producing. But, um, yeah, so for me, like, I just narrowed down to story and art. And the the one to, the few, the two departments that I could narrow that down to were English, my major, and fine arts, my minor. And so um, it may be my greatest passion or aspiration in life, but I would definitely consider it one at the moment, too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And uh, I've been shooting and editing my own stuff for the past few years. Um, now they have all been shot on an iPhone. Now I know that's very like, um, I know that there could be some reactions to that. Like, Oh my God, you're shooting a thing on an iPhone or, uh, or there even could be some like picky people like, you know, the, you know, the big, like really nerdy, like cinephiles who are like, Oh, it's so overrated to shoot on an iPhone. That's (laughs) too artsy for me. Yeah. And, um, the way I think about it is that not a lot of people know that we carry 4K cameras in our pockets. And, uh, you know, I feel like now I, I just have an iPhone 8 right now, which is kind of um, outdated at the moment. But um, no, yeah, Same so, here, same here. Yeah, yeah. so the, the camera on that and the capabilities that they have, now it's not like a, it's not like a full-frame sensor. It's not, like a, it's not like a Super 35 or a 65mm. It's not like one of those big, like, Hollywood cameras. But, you know, 
I feel like there, like there's this app I use. I mean, it was like fifteen dollars, but it was definitely worth it. And it um, it goes it pretty much replicates the same sort of tools that you would on um, any sort of like film or uh, you know digital camera that you would use um, in order to capture stuff. And you know, with that app and that camera and um, you know different kinds of phone lenses that I've picked up over time. Um, I've been able to, and I really don't want to brag when I say this, but I have been able to capture like a lot of good stuff, even with just an iPhone. And uh, yeah, so I mean, I do want to get to the point where like I don't have to shoot on an iPhone anymore because let's be real, it, like it is a tiny sensor. But um, yeah, so I, I am thinking of doing one thing by the end of this year that would be hopefully feature length, like something that's like an hour and a half or so. Um, and I do have ideas for what I want to do with that. Um, I feel like it would be the last thing I would shoot on an iPhone before I would transition to like other cameras I would use. But um, yeah, so my greatest aspiration right now would be, um, you know, film and watching more movies and hopefully getting the, the industry back in action after COVID and uh, yeah, just me just putting myself out there more because that's something I've always been nervous about, but not so much over the past few years because of um, the stuff that I do. Yeah. Yeah, so. No, I mean, definitely. And I, I really appreciate, like, the, the craftiness of, like, the <laughs> recording that you do and just, like, being willing to, like, say, like, oh, yeah, I record all my stuff on an iPhone. Um, first of all, like, let's start a GoFundMe for Norman here. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> okay, but seriously, though, um, some some camera company, please please send Norman a camera that he can use. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but, um, <laughs> Airy, come get me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, honestly, another sponsor in addition to Jamba Juice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I definitely, I really love how, how crafty you are with it. Um, and I think that's like a dope goal to set for yourself to make like something feature film length by the yeah. end of the year. Um, do you have like a, a storyboard going or like? Yeah, so I pretty you? much storyboard like a lot of shots. Like the last, um, I, I always say film, even though it's like not shot on film and it's not like a feature length sort of thing, but I call them films just to, Sometimes make me feel good by myself, sometimes just to, you know, mark myself, you know. Um, but the last film I did was, um, I, oh my god, it was one year ago today that I put it out. And it was a, it was a short, like, psychological thriller that I, um, it's all told in black and white still photos. And it was a good friend of mine that um, we just spent a few nights just, we, I'd say filming, but we were just, like, taking photos. And, um... Yeah, so that that took a while, and I was editing it right when the shutdown was gonna happen, and uh, yeah, so it was quite a lot of work to be able to get there. And even though like you know the impact of everything shutting down just took a toll on me, and I have taken a long break since then, um, you know things are really just starting to really feel like they're getting back to normal now. So I'm definitely. Um, um, starting to think about what to do, but <laughs> I feel like I strayed away from your question. Um, but yeah, so I, I storyboard my own stuff. I do all the, all the dialogue and uh, actions and stuff from the last thing I did was all pretty much improvised. But um, yeah, I do want to get to a point where I do like write scripts and um, you know, I do have a little notebook where I storyboard all my stuff 
and it's all really rough. It's not like stick figures, but it's just, you know, I like to get the general shape of stuff. And I'm like a, I'm like a big enthusiast in, uh, you know, composition and color and aspect ratio and, uh, you know, all the little technical stuff like that for, you know, visualizing the image. And so, um, yeah. I know I'm like taking so much of the runtime of the podcast. No, just keep talking, talking about that please. stuff. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so it's just it's 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 exciting to me, and uh, it's just cool that I can just have it all on my phone, and I can just go on my uh, laptop or um, like I got a new computer a few months back, so it's like my new like editing battle station that I have in uh, in my room, and so um, I've pretty much been using that to uh, edit to color correct. And um, I even found like a way to be able to, um, to like now I normally, um, I prefer like 4K files for when I shoot because you know, it shoots in raw 4K. Uh, but I have found ways to be able to turn 2K or you know, 1080 stuff into 4K. And uh, that's, that's been pretty fun to experiment with. And so there was one thing I did a while back where once when we got all that snow before it became like a big storm, um, I just like set my phone on the ground with different lenses and I just let the snow fall in slow-mo and now with slow-mo that can only shoot in 1080 or 2k not 4k so you know it's not like the biggest high quality so it's still trying to make way for the high frame rate that it's shooting in and so I still wanted to make this a 4k file because you know 4k is 4k 4k is high resolution you know and so uh I've just, I like through a lot of experimenting, I just be, was able to find the tricks to be able to turn it into it. Now it's not like raw 4K, but the high dynamic range is uh, able to bring it up to 4K. I can't believe I'm talking about color correcting on a first gen podcast. <laughs> no, I mean, it's totally good. Um, I mean, this is nerding this stuff out about film stuff, yeah. Very, very interesting stuff. Yeah. First of all, link to Norman's short film down in the description, oh of course. <laughs> yeah, Leave sure. it some love. Thank um, you. But I've heard, okay, I don't, you probably know way more about this stuff than me, but I've okay. heard of this this thing called focused 4K, where basically like the focus of the shot is in 4K, and then like the rest of the shot that, you know, you're not really going to be looking at as much they, um, the, you know, they sacrifice it and maybe it's like 2K, maybe it's even down to like 1080p at some yeah. points, just like high definition. Mm -hmm. But um, I know this is like something you're, they're using on like the new PlayStation to like create 4K gaming while being able to keep up with like the speed and like the hardware limitations that huh. they have. Um, and I don't know, like, I don't know if this is like something that's like commonly practiced but when i when i heard about this this concept i thought it was like really cool yeah um so i don't know if you know anything about that but yeah i've actually never heard of it but when i have experimented with the different lenses on my phone to be able to see like what sort of like technicalities or capabilities that um the lenses do have there's one lens i have which is like a telephoto lens now the iphone 8 camera only has one sort of lens whereas like the new cameras they have like three cameras <laughs> and uh you know so they provide like different sort of modes of magnification um the iphone 8 if you wanted to shoot in raw 4k you can't change the lens unless you were to attach something on there so the one telephoto lens that i do have it you know it magnifies and you're still able to shoot in raw 4k but it's a spherical lens which means that there is a lot more focus 
in the center and on the outside there's like a there's something called a vignette which is um you know if like if you were looking at me right now and you put like a if you made like a o with your fingers and you put it like really up close you'd see like the sort of frame that your fingers are making right um so just a little bit farther back that's a vignette but it's pretty much just um that's pretty much like if you're shooting at a wide angle lens then you can be able to see like the very fine little edges of uh of um of the lens of the actual lens like on the corners of the thing and so now i don't really have much of a vignette on that lens but i do have um it does kind of blur out just a bit um the outside now i've never heard of like this for focused 4k sort of thing but i could understand it being applied to games in that um it could bring about more of the flow of high resolution gaming especially when you're trying to reach like a big bandwidth of multiple players like mm -hmm. online or something but it may have to do with um you know the areas of the screen in which you know with like heads-up display like what is most applicable to be able to um observe within that sort of space like whether it's the enemy you're trying to shoot down or some little stats on the corners of the screen but you know when i i my focus is more on like um film and filmmaking not necessarily with games right. but um yeah i can totally see where you're coming from with that yeah no i just thought it was interesting and i think the main purpose for it was to to keep like that that high resolution um while still running at 60 frames per second yeah um which is hard when you know you're not using like some some big like multiple thousand dollar like pc <laughs> You know, when they're yeah. selling these these PlayStations for like, I mean, scalpers have bought most of them, and now you have to pay like thousands of dollars for them. Mm. But they're trying to sell them for like four hundred bucks a pop, and like with that amount of like, I don't know, that quality of hardware that you can put into a, a, a PlayStation, selling it at that amount, mm -hmm. um, they're gonna have to make cuts in some places. Um, right. Yeah. But we just simply have not reached that sort of you know, step in technology yeah. to where we can stream 4,000 lines of pixels across however many players online all at once, but also having different sort of games in which millions of other people could be doing that as well. Yeah. So, you know, it's just, we're simply not there yet, so we just have to compromise at this point. Mm -hmm. But I mean, after many more years of optimization, you know, we'll get there and, right. and you know, we'll be selling playstation nines for 20 bucks a pop so yeah. everybody will be able to play it um, <laughs> yeah. but yeah um now going back to kind of your you you're talking about like some of the different lenses you have um for <laughs> your phone too i really like i can relate to your craftiness um not as far as like filmmaking goes but i also like i have my own youtube channel i upload like only like gaming stuff so yeah. it's not like you know like super creative i'd like to kind of get creative with the thumbnails but like, I I canceled my my like Adobe subscription. Oh no! Because I was like, you know, I don't. I barely know how to use this <laughs> this Adobe Premiere in the first place. Yeah. Um, and most of like, I think it comes with like eighty some some apps, and I don't. I only used you know one of them. Mm -hmm. Um, and I canceled that because I was like, you know what? I don't even know how to use most of the features on this and. I mean, you know, I, I got classes right now. I can't take the time to learn this I'm stuff. Busy. Yeah. So downloaded the old Movie Maker Pro and <laughs> um, got Microsoft Paint 
as an alternative to Photoshop. Right. So those are honestly, they're working fine for me yeah. um, with the combination of like, you know, five or six different free softwares I can get you know, almost the same effect as I would be able to with one feature on an expensive software. Right. Make so, the most of what you have. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that kind of ties back to the whole first gen thing. Yeah, so, definitely. Um, yeah. Where it's just like, you know, if, I don't know, if we weren't first gen, you know, we might not have these issues. We might just, you know, use, uh, I don't know, some kind of, uh, savings that we have or some kind of um you know family resource to get to get the uh expensive things well, that we can need. i get a canon full frame <laughs> yeah here's five yeah honestly oh yeah and here's a here's a crew that's gonna help you you know make oh, your film wow. this year yeah um and then the next day you're tiktok famous exactly <laughs> yeah all it takes is a little bit of money um, yeah. but just a little yeah, so, I mean, I really appreciate you sharing your, your passion with us. Thank you. Yeah, so, I'm sorry I went too, um, too much into that. No, we can, have like a, we can have like a Norman Talks on Film segment oh boy. for this. Um, you know, there's yeah. probably going to be some fans of that. I'm sure there's, there's uh, <laughs> you know, some, some nerds watching. No, yeah. kidding. Or just but, casual <laughs> movie people. Yeah, exactly. What um, about you? What's your greatest passion or aspiration at the moment? Mm, okay, so that is, um, it is kind of hard for me to say. I've had like so many throughout the years, and honestly, it changes so much. Yeah. Like, from, <laughs> from like everything. Um, I would say, honestly, like just supporting my friends, being there for my friends, that is my greatest passion. I love to fill like all my free time with just like spending time with other people and kind of like. I don't know, like being there for them, doing what they want to do. Um, I Not to say I don't appreciate my alone time, but I usually have no clue how to spend my alone time. Mm. Um, I kind of just, you know, my mind bounces at the wall, off the walls. I like will stare at the wall for hours. I just, I really like being around other people, which is why I feel so lucky like during COVID time to be able to do that um, in like a safe way. But... I'm really into, okay, so I haven't actually ever done it, um, and I wish that the school offered a class on it, but I'm really into, like, animation, and I wish, so it's, like, it's similar to, like, the film topic, too. Yeah. Um, I just feel like with animation, like, you can, there's, you can pretty much, like, display whatever you want on you the screen. You can, can yeah. you can create whatever you want. You can, you can display emotions, like, even better than like humans could like display emotions like on recording because like it removes like that like awkwardness of like kind of like the acting like oh you have to you know yell and cry at the top of your lungs because you're so passionate about this thing right. but you know you could just draw somebody doing that and you could draw the exact emotion that you want like on their face and it's like in that way you know i feel like very valuable lessons can be taught um, from animation and I just um, I really wish UP offered a course on animation or a couple mm -hmm. courses on animation because it's so difficult to like get into and I've been like working on my drawing for like a while yeah. um, I even I got like a drawing pad that I can use with my computer 
um, I'm like saving up for just like an iPad, which would just make that so much easier. Yeah. But um, I really like really want to get into animation and I plan on taking like a course on it maybe after college maybe over the summer or something yeah but I just want to be able to do like basic things because I'm also like a big fan of like storytelling you know I I'm like an English minor um and I really love like those more creative writing oriented classes Mm -hmm. um because like I don't want to toot my own horn so much but I've just been through these like these like experiences I've lived in a lot of different places met a lot of different people um you know done things that I really thought I should do done things that maybe I shouldn't have done and I want to be able to like you know assign these experiences to different characters and different animations whether they're like you know shows or just like short animated things animated music videos like I'm just really passionate about that and um you know, right now I have some storyboards going just with like, you know, drawings. It'll be, you know, just like nine drawings on a page. And I want to be able to do all the connecting frames in between um, and kind of, you know, like a flip a flip note book or oh, whatever. Yeah, yeah, like this. Um, but I, that's like my idea for like mm-hmm. the capacity of animation I could do right now. Yeah. Um, but, you know, or just taking a picture of every single individual frame um of course it would be something like 10 frames per second not not like a full 60. you know if you just yeah it it would take a lot more drawings but 24 frames a second with you know all sorts of different drawings like that Mm -hmm. it'd take a long time but (laughs) yes (laughs) months that'd be dope but i love that you're you're getting into it because the the possibilities with anime i'm already screwing up on my own first podcast um (laughs) yeah so like the possibilities with animation are just pretty much endless now Mm -hmm. and um i i remember reading something about pixar a few years ago or so and the with how they with how exactly they rendered the very original toy story guess how much space that would take up like whether it's in megabyte or gigabyte or terabyte the whole movie. The whole movie. Um, I'm guessing it'd probably have to be like at least like 500 gigabytes of space. That that's that's a good guess, and it's how I would have guessed when I first found it out. But apparently, it's like, and I may be getting this totally wrong. So someone here just fact check us. But I think it was it may have been less than like 50 gigabyte. Wow. With the way it was animated. Now. If you were, now that may not have been like the exact stat I was looking at, but one I also did look at was that um, if you took the original Toy Story and you um, and you rendered the whole thing right now, like if you already had the file up on your editing timeline and you were to export that onto like a you know like a cinema quality file, um, if you did that now, it would probably take like thirty minutes. Right. It took Pixar like two months to render the whole thing. <laughs> in nineteen ninety four or five. Yeah. Yeah, that's. <laughs> no, it's technology is crazy, man. <laughs> it is crazy because you know I'm exporting you know a video from Movie Maker right now. Yeah. You know it'll take you know, a couple minutes to render. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's crazy. But it definitely, I remember even 
you know, with like older laptops, you know, when I was when I was making my first like little videos for YouTube back in like probably like 2014 or 2015, just with my older shittier laptop on an older version of Movie Maker, it would even it took even longer then, and it's even gotten shorter and like more optimized throughout the years. And I can thank um, I can thank my my laptop for it. Yeah. And a big part too. It's it's like a fast laptop. It's supposed to be a gaming laptop. I only have like Minecraft installed on it, but um, <laughs> I'm not not a big PC gamer. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I can I can thank my laptop for it. And um, yeah, I mean, technology is just moving in amazing directions. The main short film that I made that was like a documentary on like it was a promotional film on um, my old growing team that I had shot and edited as like a big swan song for them during my senior year. Um, I edited that, that all on my laptop in 4K and it added up to like nine minutes or so. And it, I, it was still exporting like right before I was gonna show it to the whole team. And with the new computer that I have right now that is able to run at the same sort of stuff it has. And the computer's from like 2013 or so. and when I first bought it, I was like, I'm just gonna test out full capabilities of this. 8K, uncompressed, surround sound, and see what I could do, and it did in like a few minutes. That's insane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it was just like a, a little a warm blow of the fan on it. Mm -hmm. But other than that, it, it just did it. I was like, I gotta be doing more. Yeah. You know? But um, I forgot to ask you, uh, what kind of animation are you doing right now? What is the... Uh, the backstory of it all. What's uh? Oh, okay. So the focus is, is like. So I'm like really into like anime and stuff. So I really like that <laughs> style, and the style that I draw in is like heavily inspired by like anime stuff. Yeah. Um, but the story I'm like working. The story I've like thought out about the most um, is I don't. Know, I can kind of just explain it, but it's it's about this this dude who's like looking for his friend. And it all takes place on like this big long road trip, um, and the thing is, you can't tell when he's like dreaming, and you can't tell when he's awake. So there's like a little bit of like an inception thing going on. Whoa. But like the more like the show goes on, the more obvious it is when he's like dreaming, and the more obvious it is when he's awake. But basically, my idea for the end of the show is that I don't want it to end with him awake. I want it to end with him like in the dream and he's like looking for his friend maybe he finally catches up with them you know maybe he doesn't but my idea is that like you know there's not too much difference between like dreams and reality right and my idea is that like i, I don't know it's pretty much that and yeah. i want i want the resolution to be in a dream and to show how that dream is you know just as as satisfying as reality yeah um but that's, that sounds awesome. I want yeah. to see what it's done. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, it'll be it'll be a while before that's done. You know, I got see this. What you're listening to right now, this is like the creative sort of sparks that um, you know creators like to feel within others when they're collaborating. So you just you just got a little glimpse of that. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I have, I haven't told many people about that idea, but I feel like you know maybe people will think it's interesting. 
you know, maybe it's it's stupid and we're just dumb, but no, I don't believe that's the case. There's no <laughs> such thing as stupid when it comes to art and creation. Yeah. And it took me a long time to understand that because I used to be the kind of person who would just trust the critics no matter what. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that just helped me formulate my opinions about other stuff, which, you know, it can be good because that can just, um, you know, that can just, like, cement yourself as like one of the people that is fighting for a certain opinion or something but then again like you gotta have your own opinion about things so Mm -hmm. i mean and as long as you're kind of strong in your own opinions um i feel like it doesn't really matter what other people say about them because it's like (laughs) just a flex off of you you know people are, are always like oh once you stop caring about what others think that's when, like, you know, you're living the good life. And that's so, like, cliche to say. But I feel like, I mean, obviously, I still care, you know, what others think. And I don't know. Like, criticism always, like, it still affects me and stuff like that. But I feel like I'm moving closer towards that, like, not caring so much thing. Um, Like, kind of, like, you know, eat an entire Reese's bunny on the way home from the grocery (laughs) store type thing. Yeah. that's a very specific situation, but that kind of like vibe is um, what I'm trying to like, you know, like be like and just, I don't know. Yeah. It's not really care what others think. I do what I want. Yes. Something like that. Definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, well, thank you for sharing on, on your passion. Thank you, and, yeah. Yeah, I enjoy talking about mine as well, but um, I guess we can move on to like the next question, Definitely, which is. Yeah. Um, just like it's can you tell us about your cultural background um before we get into that let me just emphasize that like me and norman are just some some white dudes so i'm, I'm sure there's there's more to it but um right off the we, bat we there can we go find something yeah honestly <laughs> there's always things to find um yeah so i was born in tulsa oklahoma and um yeah so i i still have that same sort of um cowboy sort of lifestyle when I was growing up very little um uh my I think it was my it was like my great it was either my great great grandmother or my great 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 grandmother she was a Cherokee Indian who died on the Trail of Tears and I just found out about that like a few weeks ago that's crazy (laughs) how did you find out like through ancestry.com or something like that. my mom did like an ancestry.com thing um a few years back and so she was able to trace like a lot of like her family um you know her you know her roots and everything Mm -hmm. and um i did learn from that that i have a lot of norwegian ancestry but um like i knew that i was like a 16th or so cherokee indian like when i was very little or even from that I, i just can't exactly remember but um when i did learn about um that it was pretty much through looking through old family photos and I was just we were cleaning out the garage and uh my mom was like oh yeah this is your great great grandmother or your great 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 grandmother she died mm-hmm. on the trail of tears I was just like wow you never you know you just never expect something I, I like just didn't that. know it was that like um close in time to me or yeah. like close on the family tree to me so no that's true yeah that's um, that was pretty eye-opening for me so yeah yeah. And the concept of time is like so weird. Like I always see these things that's like, oh, like, 
you know, when your your parents were growing up or something, they were still using the guillotine in France. I don't know if that's true, <laughs> but it's always something like that where you're just like, I had what? to trudge <laughs> through floods and mud and dirt to get yeah. to school every day. Uphills both way yeah. in the snow, barefoot. But yeah, the whole spiel. Um, but yeah, that's. I mean, that's really interesting, honestly. Yeah, yeah. and I did li- like my mom was born in San Antonio, and so she lived. Um, she didn't really live in Texas much, but she did. Um, she she did live in Oklahoma for a long time, mm-hmm. and uh, she went to, I think it was Tulsa University for a couple years, and then I think she switched to community college, and that would have just qualified her as like you know not graduating. Me being first gen, and um, my dad was born in San Diego, California, and uh, he had a military dad who was in the Coast Guard, mm-hmm. and so. My dad, he has four siblings, and so that was a big family that was moving around a lot. And, um, you know, he, I don't think my grandfather was ever, like, on any sort of battlefield or any sort of, you know, battleship sort of, you know, um, naval battlefield or whatever. But um, they lived, like, when my dad was a little, like, all across the world, like, in Thailand at one point, and uh, lots of parts of Virginia... And uh, until he, until they finally settled in all sorts of different parts of Washington. And so um, when my parents met, they both, uh, they both met in Seattle. And then when they had me, they were already in Tulsa. And then um, for a different job, for a period of our lives, we had to pivot over to um, the worst place on planet Earth, which is called Fort Wayne, Indiana. Mm. Everyone is just me. <laughs> And it was like the formulative era of my childhood. And that's something I don't want to take away from me, but it, it did suck. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, me and my parents, we, we, we're working class and we're like lower middle class. And um, we were hit pretty hard by the housing crisis in 2007, 2008. Yes. And my dad lost his job. And um, he he found a job in Portland, but you know during that time me and um, my mom were still back in Fort Wayne, still trying to sell the house. And uh, you know, you know, I think it was during that time when I started really just take shape in my head. Like even with just like I don't I don't have any siblings, and so you know I was pretty much their only kid that you know they were raising and are raising, and um, you know. I think just that whole big year and a half long period of my life pretty much just formulated in my mind that there is no harder job or more respected job in the world than being a mother. And I just think of all the days in which she's had to clean the house and make me meals and drive me to school every day when I was like seven or eight years old while still trying to sell this big house in the neighborhood that no one wants to buy. And, um, I just, I just will always have tremendous respect for her and doing all that. And, you know, I aspire to be able to be in a position, or at least to be ready to be in a position like that sometime when I'm older. And, um, you know, come Christmas 2008, we moved to Portland and things just went from there. Mm-hmm. That's the best way I can describe my cultural background, but uh, yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, I can definitely relate to, like, parts, like, 
my family was also hit by the housing crisis. Um, you know, my dad lost his job as well. Um, and we were living in, you know, this decently nice suburb in, in L.A. County. Um, Is that where you were born? A little place called Valencia. Yes, I was born in Glendale, California. Um, so I honestly, I've just been moving like more north since I was born. Um, yeah, just keep on keep on moving north. I guess I got to move to like Seattle next year or something. But mm. um, <laughs> no, not really. But um, definitely during... During the big housing crisis, um, we moved up to this like small kind of farm town called Dixon, California, mm-hmm. and it was just like it's kind of in the middle of like the Bay Area, like San Francisco, and then like the capital, Sacramento. So it's just like dead in the middle. But we lived out kind of like in the middle of nowhere, and at that point, like um, yeah, my parents didn't have jobs, so we were kind of struggling a bit financially and luckily like um we knew we knew the person who like had this property and basically the agreement was like oh you know we're gonna work on this property and work for this person for free and then we get to live here Mm. and it the house was built in 1864 i want to say so it was an old house um very creepy i'm convinced it was haunted um lots of stairs to go to my room, I think I had to go up like four flights of stairs. But it would be like, you'd think I'd love living in like this great big house. But it was like this rundown great big house. Like, you'd never know if the room was just going to be like very spooky and dilapidated looking. The house was dilapidated itself. We were afraid the foundation was going to cave yeah. in. But I think I remember um, like when I was when I had an English class with you sophomore year, you yeah. talked about you had like an essay about writing about how spooky your house was. Yes, I definitely wrote about this like experience in that class. Yeah. Um, but it was just it was crazy, and um, living there was like a very like eye opening experience for me because mm-hmm. I went from living in like you know this like suburb in L.A. to living out in the middle of nowhere in Northern California where. For some reason, it, it was even hotter than L.A. during the summers, but way colder than L.A. like during the winters, too. Um, and I don't know. Those, I, I lived there from, like, the age of, like, 10 to 14 or 15, and it was, like, definitely the hardest living situation I've ever had to live in or probably will ever have to live in. Um, and same thing I know for... Um, at least my mom for my dad i he he's been through a lot himself but um that was definitely like the most um the most life-changing experience i had and you know from there forward i kind of just started to be satisfied with really like the the smallest little things um you know so i i think that it was like overall a good experience for me and i wouldn't take it back you know even if yeah. if maybe my my life would have gone a different way if, you know, my dad kept his job, we kept our house in LA, and, you know, I got to grow up with, like, the friends I went to school with, like, or elementary school with, because um, it's, like, right now, like, the the oldest friend that I have, like, the longest time I've known a friend is, like, it's, like, five years, um, and that is, like, my oldest friend I met, like, five years ago, and so... 
you know, it's only been like five years now. And just like moving from place to place before I really had like a phone or like the internet, you know, I had like my Game Boy. That was the only thing I had. There's no like, you know, cross cross state or cross country messaging on like a Game Boy. So I couldn't really keep a lot of the friends that I had. And um, that's why I really, I feel like I really just want to help create a community that is like welcoming to others because like everybody deserves a place to to belong no matter how long how long you've like known people you know that shouldn't be like what matters what matters is like you know the connections that you make um, and the things you have in common with people or even the things that you don't have in common but you can appreciate about other people absolutely and um that's i mean that's really all i can say about um my my culture um i don't have like a big family at this point it's really just my mom my dad and my brother um older or younger uh older brother two years um so yeah at this point that's that's really all it is at least like locally like we have some some like very like distant family um but you know we're not too much in contact with them so it's like Mm -hmm. It's a very small, easy to like manage the relationships in my family because yeah. you know it's just like three other people at this point, mm-hmm. and um, I don't know. I really, I really appreciate my family. My dad is, it's like Irish and Puerto Rican, and I don't know how into his own culture he is, but I, I definitely think it's an interesting combination for sure. You know, there's a lot of backstory. Um, for both of those places and my dad he he has been like pretty much on his own since like probably like 14 or like 15 Whoa. so he's he's been through a lot and then my mom has like been there with him from like from like 15 or 16 or whatever yeah so they've always been kind of together just like fighting through it you know no matter what happened and my mom is like german and like croatian those are those are I guess the uh, the nationalities of my parents. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, what made you choose UK? Oh, so not gonna lie, a big factor was like like all the the money and like grants they wanted to give me mm. because my other options like there there was schools like I really wanted to get into like. San Diego State University was like a big one for me, but I didn't end up getting in. Mm-hmm. And then another one I really wanted to go to was University of Victoria in um, Victoria, Canada. But I actually remember visiting University of Victoria. Like yeah. I, um, for our for our listeners, I used to. Ru- I'm so sorry. I'm interrupting. No problem. Go uh, ahead. For some for our listeners listening, um, I used to row crew and. Uh, my, I, I've pretty much like the only country I've ever traveled to was Canada, but I do remember, um, you know, all the crazy like fun regattas that I would row at, and uh, I did visit University of Victoria once mm-hmm. with a friend of mine, and um, yeah, I, I did consider U- UVic for oh, for a while. Yeah, and I heard they're really cool. See, I thought I'd never had the opportunity to actually go there, but it looked beautiful from Absolutely, the pictures yeah. I've seen. Um, British Columbia is just one hell of a place to visit. <laughs> definitely. But, you know, that school is really expensive, especially if you are not a Canadian citizen. Right. So that was kind of a limiting factor there. 
And then there was like another couple of state schools around that. Um, actually, I was going to end up going to Sacramento State University just because it was like the the easy in and it was close and my parents wanted me to stay like originally and as much as I wanted to go to UP I don't know I kind of just wanted to like satisfy my parents as well but that night when I was like I had already you know made up my mind I was like okay I'm, I guess I'm going to Sac State and you know whatever I'll do whatever there mm-hmm. and then my parents were like no like if you want to go to UP like you know you can go to UP and I really appreciated it because like one like I mean, you know, financially, like, you know, my my parents are, are like, you know, we, I mean, we've always, of course, gotten financial support and stuff like that, but they just really value, like, good education, and that's always, like, what they spent their money on. It's, like, it was never, like, anything for, like, themselves or, like, our living situation, you know, and, you know, we rent a little house, and they always just were willing to put their money into education for me and my brother because that's what they thought was the most important or that's what they think is the most important Mm. and it's like i don't know sometimes it frustrates me because i'm like why don't you guys do anything for yourself but (laughs) not not frustrates me in like a a negative way it's more just like i really want them to be able to you know use their money for what they want to as well yeah um but they were like yeah you can go to up and honestly, I'm, I get so much financial support that it's not, you know, it's not like a huge burden or anything. Right. Yeah. But um, I, I feel like that's that's the case for a lot of people, too. Like a lot of people are here on scholarship. A lot of people aren't paying the full 60,000, not saying that, you know, it wouldn't be worth it, but it <laughs> definitely would be a huge limiting factor for a lot of people if if it was the full 60,000 they had to pay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. I just thought about like life in Portland too, because college isn't just about the education. It's also about, you know, starting a life for yourself and like living, existing and just like learning all the lessons, you know, you have to learn in college. Yeah. And um, I just thought Portland sounded like a really cool place to experience that. I don't know. The more I learn about Portland, I don't know, kind of the more interesting it gets, you know, like the backstory here is very (laughs) wild. So I don't know. I, I guess I would probably want to remain in Portland for a bit. Hopefully, you know, I hope to be part of, you know, the change in Portland. Yeah. I just, I just, I considered my options and this was the one that one gave me the money I needed to go to a place like a private school like this and two sounded like the most interesting place for me to live out of all of my options definitely Um, yeah yeah. and i really appreciate where you're coming from because um you know something that a lot of people our age are going to have to experience is you know breaking out of your comfort zone and not just that but physically breaking out of it and going to live like in some other part of the country to uh to have your education or continued education and you know I will always appreciate the sorts of people who do that or even like the people who have been working since they're like early teen years and um, you know I just you know if you put in the work and you decide to put it in early that's that's just something I'm gonna immediately immediately want to like hire someone for right and um, you know 
as someone who just lives 30 minutes away from campus, um, you know, that's just something I'm going to have to experience later on than most people. So, um, yeah, I totally respect and uh, love where you're coming from with that. Yeah, well, thank you. And it's not it's not like I've been, you know, having like these formal official jobs since I since mm. a young age. I would even say that my time living on like kind of like a ranch farm type situation has made me extremely like just opposed to like the physical labor part of things. <laughs> like I I hate that stuff now. But I do feel like it was very good for me to to do that. You know, it made me stronger, like not only like physically, obviously, but like mentally, you know, it, a nice hard day's work. And and uh, well, what we had was almond trees and, you know, picking up almonds and hulling almonds. And, I didn't know almonds came in from trees. Yeah, <laughs> cracking almonds. You wouldn't expect it, right? See, right. I didn't know that either before I moved there, but... Mm-hmm. A hard day's work of picking up almonds was definitely good for me back then. Now, I would much rather um, spend my work time doing <laughs> non, non like physical laborious type tasks. Mm. You know, I not to say like oh I have all these years of wisdom, but like, like attending you know, classes on Zoom. <laughs> yes, <laughs> attending classes on Zoom. That is my ideal. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But yeah. you get what I what I mean. I I, know I, what you mean. I like writing and and, uh, and having meetings and just communicating stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, that is my uh, that is my ideal form of work. But, yeah. Yeah, but I know if I ever have to have like a physical labor job again, you know, I know I can get through it. Yeah, um, definitely. So it's and that's something that rowing taught me too because um, it's a brutal sport. Mm-hmm. It's both strength and cardio at the same time, and um, and it's considered a team sport because you're you're always like rowing in the same boat with guys. And um, I feel like this can definitely be achieved when you're on the water, whether you're like sailing or you're you know partying with friends or whatever on a, on a speedboat or something. But um, this can definitely be felt in a ro- in a rowing um, boat too which is that um, when you're pulling strokes at the same time as others and you're in time with others, like when it comes to individual body movements, there's just this feeling of grace and you know, perfect fluidity that you feel with, uh, with others. And I can't describe it, but it's just, it's beautiful when you experience it. And I think there was even a, um, there was a documentary that came out like about a year ago and it was about um, it was about uh, these two Chicago gangs that um, they had its members like row at the same rowing club, and they had to put aside their differences to be able to just row in the same boat for you know like a couple hours, five days a week. I think I've heard about this like too. Like the yeah. most beautiful thing. I think it was narrated by Common. I haven't seen it yet, but um, I heard it's really good. And um, mm-hmm. you know that's. Even something like that, when you're just rowing in unison with other people, um, you, you you just don't think about those grudges or intimate negative feelings that you may have about others. Um, sometimes they can even turn positive. Right. And um, you know, I've I've I I'll admit I have had feelings about that with other people I've rowed with, but you know that that sort of thing just happens with any kind of like 
you know, angry teenage angst, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> yeah. but, um, yeah, so you definitely get that out of, um, any sort of rowing session, but you know, not just with rowing, but like you can definitely, you know, when it comes to like grace and perfect in time fluidity and stuff like that, I don't even know what I'm saying, but, <laughs> um, yeah, it kind of ties back into the whole, you know, themes behind why first gen is first gen. Yeah. We, we connect with others. We, um, we do stuff together. Mm-hmm. We do hard work together. Hard work together, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I can relate to that, too. I didn't do rowing. I did water polo for a few years, though. And Oh, water polo sucks. Oh, I, I mean, like, it, it hurts. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't mean it sucks. Oh, my man. Uh, I mean, it sucks physically. Oh, physically. You know how people are like, coach, put me in the game. Take me off the bench. Put me in the game. I was the person waving down my coach like, coach, I did it. I made the goal. Please take me out. I'm so <laughs> tired. Like, I need to go sit on the yeah. bench. And I would, like, be so physically exhausted. I don't know. I don't think I swim the most efficiently. But um, I loved water polo. You know, it was difficult, I would say, in one aspect, like, physically. But, like, the technical side of the game, you know, there's very few rules. Like, you know, don't touch the wall. Don't touch the floor. Shoot the ball in the goal with one hand no two hands on the ball and then it's pretty much like you know beat the crap out of anybody else in the pool if you want to um you know as long as the ref doesn't see i guess you're just you know you're liable to just get very you know like hurt which is something that i honestly enjoyed not like i ever used that against others but it was like there would be that one person who it's like you knew they were going to play dirty. It's a stress and, reliever. Yeah, and it's like you knew you just had to like, you know, either play around that or just, you know, expect that, you know, you're going to take a punch to the stomach yeah. or something under the water. And it's just so, like, funny to me, like, comical to me too. But mm-hmm. I don't know. The rules of the game, very simple, easy to understand. All of the difficulty comes in actually, you know, sprinting back and forth across the pool. Yeah. And I don't know. Sometimes I wish I was like a goalie and could sit in one place, but yeah. at the same time, you know, I'm not the biggest guy, so I had to play. I had to play smart. But um, so, so basically, just like let's just say you're a goalie, is it just like treading water so much? Yeah. Just to be able to stay in one place, because like I I do have a pool, and mm. you know, my dad also used to play water polo, so you know, he taught me to swim. But um, I I can't tread water for shit. <laughs> Really? No, nah, I mean, like, I mean, I could, uh-huh. but I, the surface of the water only gets to, like, right here. Yeah, is, okay. Is that where it's normally supposed to be, or? No, I mean. For those who aren't listening, I'm putting my hand on my sternum. Like, basically, there's this thing called, like, egg beatering, which is, like, you want to, like, rotate your, your legs like this. Yeah. Like, I can't even forget how to do it. So many times my coach was like, you got to work on your egg beater, John. You got to work on your egg beater. But some people could come out to like their waist and just like slam Oof. that ball into the goal. I can only legs. come out like barely above my nipples, I feel like. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I, I just really enjoyed it. And I feel like treading water is just like the more practice you get, the more you feel like, wow, I could just tread water forever and mm-hmm. be fine. And it's like the more you like optimize your your treading of water the more like you like are actually like 
gaining more energy than you're losing like right, during that yeah. thing and that's why i'm like you know if i ever get thrown out to sea Just it'll sure it'll be the starvation that gets me yeah um, but i mean honestly probably not it'll be like the sharks yeah. or something much sooner than the starvation but um I don't know. I just I like being in the water a lot, um, which is which is weird because I also have like a I have the lassophobia, which is just like fear of like deep water that you can't really see oh. into, or like deer of, yeah. fear of like the unknowns down there. Mm. But you know, in a pool, you can see the bottom of the pool. So yeah. sometimes I there. I swim in the deep end of my pool and I still think a shark's gonna eat me. Oh yeah, so definitely <laughs> night swimming. Oh my goodness, it's no. a whole different story. You yeah, if you open know. your eyes underwater. It's like you're not even in your pool anymore. Yeah. You're like in the middle of the ocean. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> no, but um, yeah, water polo was fun. I wish they had a pool here and there was like a club team or something. I know. Yeah. yeah I, uh, I don't know. I really wish we had a, a pool here. I know they plan on building one at like River Campus or something, but... Yeah, remember when we thought River Campus was going to be finished by the time we graduate? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was going to be like a whole other city down there. I know, yeah. You know, Panda Express, Chick-fil-A. I don't, <laughs> nobody ever promised those things. I kind of just expected all these like fast food places to open up yeah. down there. Uh, do you watch WandaVision? No, but I have, I have heard of it. Yeah, because like um, a lot, like, you know, it's a, it's a Marvel show. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's the first like Marvel Cinematic Universe show. Mm-hmm. And, you know, fans have, particularly the Marvel fans, they had, like, a lot of expectations when the shows were coming out, or oh, yeah. when each episode was coming out. And a lot of people were saying, like, oh, we want this character, Doctor Strange is going to be back, <laughs> Spider-Man's going to be in there. And, you know, this is just a show about Wanda uh-huh. and Vision. Yeah. And that's, it's crazy how, because I see that in, like, different, different, like, just different communities all across the board. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if these like they want fans are, and like... Luke Skywalker to be in there, too. Exactly. Like, I don't know if these fans are, like, 12 years old and just, you know, don't know any better. Or, like, if, like, this is... You know, they're just so passionate about it that this is, you know, the way it is. And the thing is, yeah. it can get so extreme sometimes. It's like, oh, yeah, if you don't put... Cause I don't know. I guess... It is possible for Star Wars to be in it because they're both, you know, part of that Disney universe now. It's like, yeah, if Baby Yoda isn't in WandaVision Episode 3, I'm going to send you a death threat. I'm sending a death threat to the editor. It's Uh, like, come on, man. Like, this is not your show, you know. I liked it, though. A lot of people were not very, like, happy about, um, you know, like, the way the witch was supposed to go because they knew it was going to... Like upset a lot of fan theories, but mm-hmm. you know, with the way they went, I think it's um, it's gonna be cool. I'm excited for what they have next. But anyway, yeah, yeah. I think because I, I mean, I gotta head out in a minute here, but I think we should do these for fun questions. Ooh, for fun questions. End. Yeah, because talking it. about Wandavision, talking about TV shows. <laughs> um, what is your favorite movie, TV show, or book? Or you could give a couple. I know it's really hard yeah. to choose. My all-time favorite movie is uh, this old this old Alfred Hitchcock movie called North by Northwest. And a lot of people credit it as, like, the first action movie. It's from, like, mm-hmm. 1959. Um, have you seen, like, the uh, that image of, like, the plane chasing after the guy and the guy's running towards the camera and the plane's going to get him? Honestly, it, it does bring back a little something when you say that, yeah. That's the movie. Uh-huh. Now, obviously, that is, like, one scene in a big two-hour movie, but 
it's even like the whole rest of the movie is just mind blowing, and it follows like a, it follows like like one of Hitchcock's like uh, main themes within his films is the wrong man arc, which is like um, you know you're mistaken for someone, so you're you're gonna be on the run, and you know that's when it can like um, you know make connections with the sort of spy thriller that became popular in like the the forties with like noir sort of films, but. Um, you know, this was one where I actually st- started to like feel big. Like it was shot on VistaVision Technicolor, and uh, it had like a big cast, like Cary Grant and even Marie Sane and James Mason. And um, yeah, so when I watched that when I was like very little, because um, you know I watched a lot of TCM with my mom because she always had that channel on. Mm-hmm. And so when I watched that, I was very little. That um, you know that that hit me. I think that was the one movie that made me think like. Like I've I'd already been been considering like wanting to make movies when I was little when I was um, older when I was little, but that was a movie I was like, yeah I'm gonna make movies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that was awesome. Um, favorite TV show? I'm gonna get a lot of hate for this, but South Park. It's the greatest show of all time, <laughs> hands down. That's um, a good show, dude. I I mean, I'm personally like not like the biggest fan of South Park. Um, I can respect that you really like that <laughs> show because I know so many people that like really love that show. Yeah. For me personally, I don't know what it is. I just like shows like South Park, shows like like Always Sunny in Philadelphia, where the characters are just like like assholes, terrible people. Yeah, just terrible people. It's like I I think the shows are so funny. Like I I watch them, but I just can like I just I just hate the characters, you right. know. And it's like they're so funny, but it's like. I just can't. I yeah. can't, like, stand them after a certain point. Right. And I understand yeah. that, like, there are a lot of people who would find stuff like that or stuff like, oh, it's always sunny. Like, stuff like that. I, I understand that why they would think it would be considered, like, offensive. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and it's really hard to explain, but it is presented in a way to show pretty much, like, break down what's right and what's wrong in society and what, like, should be said and what shouldn't be said. Right. And, you know... I could go into a million different examples of how something like South Park or something even like Borat or something or whatever could do something like that. But yeah, um, yeah. But I mean, at the end of the day, you know, I would say it's for comedy's sake, but it's for more than just comedy's sake. It's kind of like, I mean, they're they're like social commentaries, you know. Yeah. So it's like, I yeah, I could see somebody being offended by the show if they you know they took everything. Like literally, I right. thought it was like intentionally trying to be a certain way. You but then, know? if we go in that direction, then comedy just would never be funny. Oh no! Yeah, because I mean, it's inherently like a social sort of thing. It's almost like something like South Park. It's just it's daring to test like why are you laughing? Right. Yeah. Um, favorite book. Um, and as an English major, I have the most generic taste in books. <laughs> Even even when um, you know my forte is movies, but um, the like top ones I can narrow it down to are like To Kill a Mockingbird, Catcher in the Rye, um, The Boys in the Boat, which is like a true story on um, you know uh, Washington uh, University of Washington rowers back in like the 1930s during the Great Depression mm-hmm. that. Um, were progressed so well in rowing that they went to the 1936 Berlin Olympics and they won gold in front of Hitler. 
This was the same Olympics that Jesse Owens was at. And uh, it, it's just an incredible true story. And these were all like working class young men who, uh, you know, this was a time in Seattle when, you know, people were living inside cardboard boxes. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just, it's just crazy to be able to think that they could earn something like that and earn that kind of recognition in, you know, just before the world was going to go to shit. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Other books, probably um, Dune, because I'm just so freaking excited for the movie that's going to come out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, I do get a lot of, um, I do feel inspired a lot by the books I do read in school, like in high school or college. Um, I do like, uh, I think The Great Gatsby was the first book that I read in which I actually marked up as I was reading oh, it. Oh, yeah. No, same here. That was really? the, actually probably one of the first books I actually read all the way through and finished and was like, really? wow, I finished a book, you know, and I was like, it's like, I want to say like, like 16 or something yeah. when I read that, That's but cool. I really liked that book. Yeah. yeah. What about you? Movies, TV shows, books? I'll start with the book. Um, my favorite book is like, it's a short little kind of like kid's book. It's The Little Prince. I don't know if you've ever... I've heard of it, but I never read it. Yeah, so it's like it's like this little French book, and it's just about this kid who like lived on his own little asteroid planet thing, mm-hmm. and then he takes a journey and he comes to Earth and learns valuable lessons and stuff like that. You can read. You can honestly. I think the fastest I've ever finished that book was in like. Now I don't know if this is humanly impossible, but I want to say it's like doable in like forty-five minutes. You know, it's like mm. a picture. It's like a picture novel. It's not like a graphic novel, but it's like it's got pictures every once in a while, and it's mm-hmm. just like a short little novel. And that's my favorite book, just for nostalgia's sake, because yeah. I've read through it so many times. I've read through it in French too. You know, and it's like I don't. I took French in high school. I cannot remember. For the life of me, how to speak any coherent sentence. Same for me with Spanish. Yeah, um, and I wish I spoke more languages, but you know we'll get there. We'll get um, there. Yeah, I can speak different nerd languages for one, but um, what kind of nerd languages? Um, oh, just like different video games, like um, like Dothraki. Oh no, uh, I I mean like Vulcan. Kind of like jargon <laughs> used for like if you think of like a fighting game. There's, like, all these, like, different jargons used, like, mm. and I don't know. I can I can just read a sentence that is, like, mostly numbers and, like, maybe a capital letter, like, next to it. But it's just, like, it, it equals, like, a combo in the game. But, like, oh, it's, it's done in a certain notation. And, like, that is, like, the language that I can read. <laughs> you know, not That's really cool. useful, but... Uh, but I remember reading The Little Prince in French, and because I already knew like pretty much all the words, the whole story, I was actually able to read it all the way through in French and understand it, and I felt so accomplished. Um, Sweet. But yeah, moving on to TV show, um, I already mentioned I'm like a big fan of anime, mm-hmm. but um, there's actually I there's this show that came out last year called Japan Sinks 2020 that I'm so passionate about. Yeah, I heard you talking about Yeah. That. It's like an action drama, super emotional roller coaster. I'm going to look like, it up if you don't mind. Yeah, it's 10 episodes and it's on Netflix. You can watch it in one go like a movie or split it up, but it's about this family and their experience during a devastating earthquake in Japan. 
Um, and I mean, it's not based on a true story. It is based on a book, but um, yeah, I, I really like that show and I recommend it to everyone. I think there's like such good life lessons. And like I was saying earlier about like emotions and like in animated shows, I feel like the emotions are done so well. And these characters aren't like super exaggerated, like giant eye anime characters. <laughs> like it's a pretty realistic style for an anime. Yeah. Um, and like the emotions, you know, they're not always trying to make them look like super like cute and stuff like that. You know, they're not afraid to show like the ugly cries of these characters. Mm -hmm. And it's just like they so... They just look more human. Yeah. And I don't know why I'm able to like empathize with these characters so much and like feel so deeply for them when it's like I, I will watch like a, a like a, like something live action and I won't be able to understand the characters as well. And it might just be a me specific thing or it might be, you know, the purpose of the show. But yeah, I, I'm looking at the photos of uh, the people in the show right now. And they they just look like normal people. Yeah, they like, don't look like um, they don't look like Goku or Akira mm -hmm. or exactly anything like that. So the crazy spiky hair and like <laughs> giant eyes that take up like Come <laughs> <man>! <laughs> yeah. Um, I I highly recommend that show. And then sticking on the subject of like anime, my favorite movie. Do you know like the Studio Ghibli movies? Yeah, um, I've only seen a couple. Of yes, before. my favorite one of all time is Howl's Moving Castle. I don't know if you've seen that one, but um, one of these days I gotta have like a studio. Is it Ghibli or Ghibli? Beats me. Ghibli. Ghibli. Uh, studio yeah. Ghibli marathon. <laughs> yes, highly recommend Howl's Moving Castle. It was like it became my favorite movie because I saw it as like a kid when I was like four or five. Yeah, and I actually remember being kind of like afraid of it when I saw it, just because there's like some darker themes at certain points. Yeah, um, and I used to be a huge scaredy cat. I didn't actually think it was real. I thought I dreamt all of that. Mm -hmm. And then when I was like four, like thirteen or fourteen, I heard like the music for it in the background of like a YouTube video, and I was like, "What is that?" No, I. That music only exists within my head. And then I like looked at like the credits for the music and like the description of the video. And I find out, oh shit, this is a real thing. Like I didn't just dream this. And that's that's kind of like when I got into anime and animation in general in the first yeah. place. I was like, you know, like this is something I thought that I had created in my tiny four-year-old brain. Making little connections like yeah. That. And then I was just like, no, like this is a thing and there's like a whole studio and there's so many movies and I was like, okay, I have to, you know, get into this now. Yeah, like this definitely. is what I've been waiting for. I'm like life. that with so many filmmakers. Yeah. Um, do you do you know the, of this app called Letterboxd? No. It's, and I hope I'm not like doing too weird of a plug because I'm not really associated <laughs> with it, but Letterboxd is like a social media app for movie lovers. Uh-huh. You can log and review movies they have they pretty much grab all of their data from imdb or somewhere else and like if you go on here right now like you have like stuff that's popular to look at and you have like reviews that other people put up and i have a feed of like my way of you know building up my account is by like farming likes of joke reviews that i write about movies mm -hmm. and um you know, that's just pretty much my way of, like, building up my profile. I've only been active for, like, a few months, and I have 91 followers. And nice. um, now I do have the benefit of having seen 1,176 films and rating them and, having, <laughs> you know, having too much time to rate them. But it's absolutely fun, and I highly recommend it. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so 
Letterboxd is a fun app that uh, you can use to uh, log films and connect with other movie lovers, and I'm sure there's plenty of Studio Ghibli people on there. Oh, definitely. <laughs> um, I could only imagine the things. And so. definitely animated, too. So Yeah. Is it there's a, it's for like shows and stuff too then or just they really? have select shows like mm. Letterboxd I think it's like a small company from uh, New Zealand uh-huh. and so I think when it comes to shows like they have miniseries on there but mm. if they have like continuing shows and you know they deem it like a letterbox worthy kind of thing something that could like fit their vibe yeah the same way that like you know the Criterion Collection would handpick films that are like culturally or contemporarily relevant. Yeah. But that's pretty much how they choose on there. Like, they could have stuff like third season of Twin Peaks to, like, WandaVision. Right. And stuff like that. So, you know, they just pick stuff that would be popular and fun for people to write about. Right. At the moment. But, yeah. For sure. Next question. Nice Favorite food? Favorite food? Um, for me, I really like sushi. I also really like burritos. Sweet. I had so much sushi last night. I got... <laughs> I got... Um, I got like two rolls and I just stuffed my face with sushi. It was so nice, so expensive, so expensive. <laughs> but Horrible so worth decision. It. Yeah, but but also a great decision. Good, um, delicious decision. Yeah. And then burritos, I also love. Um, there's this place called Rose City, Takaria. Like, it's like five minutes from here. It's and like a burrito there is like six bucks, but it's like you know like huge and it's just delicious. Dang. Um, and, I'll have to go there then. Um, yeah, I highly recommend yeah. it. My um, main go-to Mexican place uh, near campus is um, uh, El Burrito Azteca. Is it El Burrito Azteca? I, I've heard of that. Or I think that's what it's called. I don't know if that's a that's a place near my house or near uh, near campus, but I think that's what it's called. Mm-hmm. It's not Cha Cha Cha, and it's not um, something else. But that's like the main place I went to. And yeah. when my parents were helping me move in, like. Um, that was one place we went to to uh, have our last sort of like close connection before I would officially move in. Yeah. But um, pasta for me, any kind of Italian food. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, because of COVID, I, I'm living back at home. Mm. I've been definitely trying to like dip my hands more into cooking. And my girlfriend's been helping me with that as well. So that's been very, uh, that's been very uh, fun to do. And I've made like all sorts of different sandwiches and I've, uh, I so I have cooked like a few dishes of pasta, but um, yeah, so that definitely gets very fun. I've I've just been a big fan of pasta when I was little. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I'm mom's spaghetti, that's my mom's favorite. Spaghetti. That's my favorite. <laughs> Honestly, I changed mine because whenever oh, I, I go you were doing home, like an M M&M reference for a second. <laughs> oh no, I like actually mom's spaghetti is a. Uh, is uh like whenever i go home like i need it and my my brother and my dad don't even really like it that much but like Mm. i love it for some reason like i will have her make enough for like me to eat leftovers for like a few days and like honestly sometimes for like days straight straight while it'll just be like lunch pasta midnight snack pasta that's Um, a dream spaghetti yeah um meat, red meat sauce and just whatever noodles i don't really care um not angel hair though because uh, the consistency is weird to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, Definitely. but yeah hobbies um well you know me film filmmaking shooting editing my own stuff um i love playing guitar i love music but not like the kind of music that you would think i love music pretty much from like the 50s to the 90s 
mm-hmm. like specifically that era. I just I feel like I listen to a lot from that sort of um, era. I've been playing guitar for whew, about eleven years, but right when I started rowing, I just stopped like officially taking lessons. I try to have like the same sort of level of guitar playing as a friend would at a campfire. Mm-hmm. Like if like if I was like hanging out with friends and we were all like hanging out and I see a guitar next to me, I'm like, just pick it up and play some for a few hours. Definitely. That that's my kind of thing. Um, but yeah, and I I tend to learn more by ear, and I know this is cheating, but I learn by tabs, like which is like a you know pretty much like the oh, cheap version of sheet music. And see, I. I don't mean to interrupt you, but I don't. find sheet music so much easier than tabs. I think it's just because huh. I grew up, I grew up playing like the trumpet, um, oh, yeah. so I kind of came to like learn sheet music in that way, and um, I just find it easier than tabs because tabs I don't really understand mm-hmm. at all. It may um, just be but... like the uh, the way that one can be. I don't, I don't think it even has to do with skill because you mm-hmm. know it's not like socially put upon you. Yeah. But um, I just feel like it could definitely have to do with, you know, either tactile or visual sort of, um, yeah. you know, cues that we would receive when looking at stuff like that. Definitely. And having to translate that onto whatever instrument we're playing. I, I think it's just like seeing the notes as like, I can think about what sound it's supposed to make rather than like, I don't know, like the fingerings, I can have like a different guide up That's for like each note. And then it's like, oh, I know if this fingering makes this note then it's like, then I'll know that for every other song here on out. And it's not like I have it memorized. I know like like two songs. Um, I can play Blackbird by the Beatles, obviously. On trumpet? Uh, no, on guitar. Oh, guitar. Cool. Um, yeah, I'm talking about guitar. And then I can play um, uh, John Bellion's Guillotine, which is really simple and easy. But I've never heard of that song. Um, it's, it's cool. It's just got That's like cool. a cool guitar <laughs> melody to it. Cool. But... Um, uh, there's other songs I'm like working on, but like over the course of, you know, once here and there, um, cool. every once in a while. I have a few roommates that play guitar. I've definitely seen your guitars hanging up like in the yeah. background of your Zoom calls. Yeah, yeah, they look dope. Thank um, you. Yeah, I really like that display on the wall. I don't even have my own guitar. I just like use other people's guitars. Oh yeah, yeah. I I feel like kind of the same way where it's just like I want to be able to pick up the guitar, play a song, and then. Put it down. You're probably much much better than me on guitar. I. Uh, everyone I learns know. different. And everyone plays yeah. different. So. I remember, I had this like meeting with McDonald. Uh, Did he play his guitar? And he okay, so he had his guitar in there, and I'm I like. Listening. I uh, I was like, we were going over like an essay or something, and one it was like it was dope because like it was like my final essay, but I had already like written like an essay the length that the final essay needed to be. So I was like, so for my final essay, can I just do like a two pager then? (laughs) And he was like, yeah, I guess that makes sense. And then I was like, okay, sick. About guitar, I was like telling him about like this song that I like was learning, which was just Blackbird. Hmm. Cause he talked about being able to play Blackbird in class. In class? He talked about it one day, just like oh, that like was like a, yeah, like he played the guitar. Oh course. no, no, he didn't. You would have remembered that, <laughs> of course. Um, yeah, it has been a while. I I miss McDonald honestly, but I miss being in France. Yeah, it's it just feels good to be back in the classroom. It is nice to be here. I mean, not officially, but. Anyways, he handed me his guitar and he was like, "Okay, play it then." And I remember messing <laughs> up a bit, but. Um, 
he uh, he complimented me and he told me to keep keep uh keep playing guitar because he liked it and I, I was like i was just proud that i was able to like play that song because i got the inspiration to learn that song because he talked about it as being like a cool party trick in class and then i was like it can be, yeah. i was like yeah i just more wanna... so than stairway to heaven definitely never um, play that in a guitar no, store definitely <laughs> um and my friend kai always played um always played blackbird by the beatles on guitar mm. and i really liked hearing him play it and so i was just like teach me this song yeah and then he like pretty much i never watched a video or anything i just did what kai said and i'm pretty sure he doesn't even play it the correct way because he kind of just like figured out how to play it by like the yeah. sounds so it's like i don't play it like the correct way but you can get the gist of it you know mm-hmm. um and he he taught me like one part at a time i would work on it for like a week until you know my fingers like bled built up the calluses the next week I could play more, started learning it faster. Um, and it took me like three months to learn that first song. Mm. Um, and I don't know scales or anything else, but oh, okay. I didn't mean to steal away. Don't. Uh, you're, no, you're uh, all good. We're, we're all jumping in on whatever we want to talk about. Yeah. Um, my go-to guitar songs are either um, Fire and Rain, James Taylor, mm-hmm. or um, Sultans of Swing, Dark Straits. Nice. Yeah. They're pretty fun to play. Yeah. There was a period yeah. of me um, learning guitar, and this was around the time that I uh, started stopped doing lessons. I bought a uh, classical guitar when I was like 13 or 14. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know what those are, those are the kinds of guitars that use not nylon strings. They use, um, maybe they do use, it's not nylon strings. Maybe it is. No, they, I don't even know what I'm talking about, man. <laughs> They, I'm, I think they use nylon strings, and um, you know that just offers like a different way of being able to play guitar. Mm-hmm. There's more of a focus on fingerings, and there's more of a focus on trying to, if you were to condense like all the parts of like let's say a rock song, whether it's like the beat, the rhythm, the lead, the bass, and the vocals, if there was a way to be able to transfer all those into notes, mm-hmm. and you just put all of that on one guitar, that's pretty much what classical guitar finger style is yeah and there i was learning finger style for a long time and then when i was able to transition from that into you know the kinds of songs i play now which are like stuff from the 50s to the 90s it just gets so much fun because then you can be able to play all sorts of different parts of uh, of a song you know just all on guitar yeah i remember uh like i was playing something funny i was playing like funny songs for my girlfriend at one time and I played the theme song from Friends, I'll Be There For You. Yeah. And I was doing the chords, but then I was doing the at the same time as the chords. Nice. And so, you know, that's that's the fun part of guitar. It, it sounds like a lot harder than I'm making it sound, but for real, it is, it's actually kind of easy once you have like that sort of experience down. Yeah. It just all really takes is just knowing like what chords to play, scales on like certain parts of the neck, guessing where those notes could be when you're anticipating it, particularly if you're playing that song for the first time. And um, yeah, so it's a lot easier than uh, it would look. Kind of relating back to like the topic of just like funny songs, because um, I, I started thinking about something. I'm sorry, I started like thinking <laughs> about just like, I am really big fan of like, um, just like comedy music or like not necessarily like parody music like parody music can be kind of cringe but just like, like meme music like comedy music 
Yes, that, but like. That's it, folks. Thank yeah. you for listening. <laughs> Honestly. Uh, <laughs> That's cool. Have you learned anything like that? Um, well, like, stuff we would do is like, we would just like, we would set up like the electric guitar and so, like, instead of playing like Blackbird on like a you know just uh, just your normal uh guitar i'm blanking on what they're called um, just like a uh, acoustic guitar acoustic, yeah. um we would set it up on like the electric guitar and then put it on like max reverb and then play it as like fast as possible and it would just be <laughs> so funny just to hear like the song in that way <laughs> and i also am like a big fan of just like freestyling from time to time and it'll just mm. be on like random topics but like it's it's never anything serious it's always supposed to or sometimes it gets serious but like it's always just supposed to be something absurd or like funny um, right and this isn't a spoiler because it's not true but um there's this song that i made at one point called iron man dies at the end of infinity war which is not true that doesn't happen it's not a spoiler um he dies at the end of it yeah <laughs> um but yeah that's a spoiler (laughs) that is a spoiler right there (laughs) yeah basically that was like the name of the song and then i don't even think the song was anything like even vaguely related Mm. to that but i just thought that was like really a really funny name for the song so (laughs) i I just yeah it'll just be like shit like that but um as far as like returning to the question of hobbies i wouldn't say that's like my biggest hobby or anything um or like that like guitar is like my biggest hobby like those are things that i like to do but honestly i would say my biggest hobby is probably like either skateboarding more specifically longboarding because i like to go like really fast Uh, did you get here by longboard no i drove um, because i had to pick up the mic from mel's house and i couldn't make it all the way around Mm -hmm. in time i like going really fast i don't care so much for tricks and stuff i just like like the the speed of it and so that's why i really like longboarding i also like to be able to like have somebody else stand on the skateboard and like i'm still able to like longboard or like somebody else sit on there oh and yeah. that's another reason why i like the longboard is because like i think that's like a cool experience for other people mm-hmm. when it's like they can just like sit down and then i can just like take them somewhere yeah on the longboard i've always struggled with getting the kind of balance to be able to ride on a skateboard or a longboard is yeah it, is it easier than it seems i think um it's always like hard at first my dad is like really into skateboarding Mm. so i think i've just been doing it since like a young age and it's like i've never gone like hard with skateboarding but it's just like i feel like him just having me do it from a young age like i used to be you know the little kid sitting on his longboard as he you know rode around um and and so, like, just, like, learning how to do that and falling so many times, um, <laughs> like, really just made me not be afraid of falling, for one. Like, at this point, I, I mean, I say, like, I will never fall off a, a skateboard. Or, you like, fall off all the time. Um, when I'm bombing hills, um, that's when, like, the kind of the wipeouts come in. Mm-hmm. Normally, no, no, I'm never going to fall off. <laughs> but um, bombing hills, yeah, I will still fall off. I'm still not too great at that. I yeah. need to get better at that one of my biggest hobbies and then my other biggest hobby is like gaming and more specifically like just getting like competitive with like a game just like learning like like the meta game and stuff like that 
I don't know. It's it's dumb in one regard, which I really like because I'm like, this like this game is supposed to be like for fun, but like some people take it so competitively and like they get like so angry at it. And for me, I know like specifically maybe talking about a game like Smash Bros, which is like a party game for like everyone. Some people take it so seriously and competitively. And it's just like, I know that that competitive side of the game is all like a construct. It's all been made by like other people. But it's like at the same time, like there's just so much like optimization to be done in the game. And I really like just like playing that competitive side, even if I'm not looking so much into the competitive side myself. I like playing against those competitive people because like they pose like such like a it's like such like a challenge to beat them and when you beat them it like is feeling it feels like more rewarding Mm -hmm. so i'll like gravitate towards like the ranked side of like a game and stuff like that yeah what do you like to play besides smash um honestly um apex legends which is like Mm -hmm. fortnite but for adults i would say (laughs) like fortnite but like mature um it's like my favorite game right now that i like to play Smash, I kind of like fell out of a while ago, Um, but Apex Legends is like, two of my roommates play it as well, so we run like a a squad, Mm -hmm. and I just, I really like the idea of like Battle Royales, because it's like every game is like a different story. So do I, yeah. And like, you go through like different things, but it's like, it's always like a different story, and it's always so like stressful, like you and your teammates (laughs) just against everything, like all of the elements, Mm -hmm. and like... I remember this one match a couple weeks ago. It was like us versus the other final team. And I we were like fighting and our, our best player, my friend Kai, like went down and it was like, oh no. no. And then I ran in and I like took out one of the guys, but there was still one left. Like the storm came in, you know, like how in Battle Royales, the circle closes, the storm came in. And I got downed, and I just turned to my teammates, and I saluted, and I was like, I tried my hardest. (laughs) Meanwhile, I look, and I see my other teammate on the screen just running away from the storm as fast as possible. And the last dude that I was fighting ended up dying to the storm. And suddenly, like, I'm downed, and I get back up, and it's like, victory! And I had already, like, saluted my friends and accepted defeat, and said I, I did the most I could. That's and then funny. that like just the little stories like that that yeah. go along and it's like different every time. We're getting closer and closer to a Ready Player One esque sort yes. of like era when it comes to games. Definitely. That, when that comes, let's face it, everyone's gonna jump on it. It's gonna be awesome. Oh, it's <laughs> gonna be the new reality. And you know, like in today's era, like you, there are like a lot of you know, gaming is a sort of like you know community to kind of like make fun of because you know it is games and you know it it does attract like a lot of adults Mm -hmm. but when when COVID came like all gamers finally got the recognition oh like everyone was at home quarantining meanwhile they were there from the start you know yeah so no definitely rise up stuff like since the start of quarantine stuff like like video games and like anime have just become more like mainstream and yeah. less of like a niche thing. And I really like it. And it's like some people in the community are like, oh, like these people are only doing it because of the trend or whatever. 
but please stay after the trend is over because we <laughs> want these communities to be bigger. Right, yeah. And it's like, even if it's just a trend, like everything starts with a trend, yeah. you know? Um, and I used to play a lot when I was like middle school age. Mm -hmm. And for a time, like I was a part of that sort of the community that was like, oh, gaming is weird. Yeah. Whereas on the inside, I was like, I, I, I play a lot. Yeah. <laughs> like and, you. and you know, because of COVID, I have gotten back into it. Mm -hmm. so, you know. so we play Smash and Apex Legends and uh, yeah, and then I love Animal Crossing just on the mm -hmm. more calm side of things Animal Crossing is a great game I love like the Dark Souls type of games that are just like really challenging but also mm -hmm. rewarding and I would say like fighting games are something I'm like really big into like Tekken Street Fighter, yeah. stuff like that. I really like those games. I have no natural talent for fighting games, including like Smash, which is more of a party game, but still like people yeah. treat it like it's a fighting game. I have no natural talent for that, but I was just looking at like the amount of hours that I have into like Smash, for example, and I did the math and I was like, if I spent these hours working a minimum wage job in Oregon, I would have made like eighty thousand dollars at this point, <laughs> but instead I wasted it all playing this playing. game. Yeah. Um, and I just like I don't know. I don't regret it per se, but I'm I'm now it's like eye opening where I'm just like yeah. I don't have as much time to play games anymore. I'm so it's like, like that too. yeah, yeah, because you know, I I like to think of games as an escape, mm -hmm. and even though I used to spend a lot of time doing that you know as long as I just reinforce my head like I am growing I am progressing as a college student I am getting more out of it than I anticipate yeah I can still spend like a Saturday night playing video games oh yeah so um you know I because I will I like to think of it as more of an escape rather than just like competition I love uh open world games mm -hmm. um I love um although like I do like a lot of you know stuff like Call of Duty where, um, you know, my friend, my best friend is, um, he's an army specialist and he's stationed out in the middle of nowhere in Kansas. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we've been playing a lot and, you know, watching a lot of stuff through, uh, because of COVID, like, you know, we'd, um, FaceTime and like see each other react to whatever we're doing. Yeah. And, uh, we played a lot of Warzone and we played, um, Rocket League. Uh, Battlefront because we're both big Star Wars fans. Yeah. And, um, you know, by myself, I play a lot. I play, um, like, Assassin's Creed. I'm a big fan of Assassin's Creed. Oh, love Assassin's Creed. And um, it, I think I think Assassin's Creed is, like, the main reason why I do well in all my history classes. I know. It's, like, <laughs> so historically accurate for no reason. They go into, like, months and sometimes even years of research before yeah. they actually, like, code stuff. Yeah, the it's movie crazy. was upsetting, unfortunately. I haven't seen the movie, but I heard oh. they're doing a Netflix series out of it now. Oh, that could be better. I mean, um, they did The Witcher on Netflix. That's true, and The Witcher series, I haven't played The Witcher. I need to play that I game. tried playing Witcher, and I just couldn't get into it. Yeah. It was overwhelming. I'm not, like, super into those RPG-type games. I do love open-world games. Like, Legend of Zelda is my favorite franchise, mm. and those are all, like, open-world, exploring-type stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, those more RPG, like, level, you have to assign levels. Like, I love action RPGs where it's, like, mostly, like, just, like, fighting. You don't really have to worry about all these, like, complicated item descriptions and stuff right, like that. Yeah. 
Um, the Witcher is like a game I've been meaning to play, but honestly, there's it's, just a lot of stuff. It seems like such a chore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Other than that, I play um, Red Dead Redemption. Mm-hmm. Just like the story elements of all of that is just, um, it's. I think that's like the main sort of game that you can look to one and two, two in yeah. particular, that can start to really like try and like, I mean like the last of us could do some of that as well mm-hmm. I, I have an xbox so i don't play last of us but um yeah so i just feel like those two you know tent poles are like those are like the main things that are starting to really show that like games can start to actually become cinematic yeah um the photo mode of red dead redemption that that has the same sort of camera like technicalities that like my phone has when I shoot and edit stuff yes or just any sort of um you know big Hollywood camera sort of thing yeah and so I I take a lot of photos through that when I'm playing like the story mode I gotta I gotta recommend you a game have you have you seen anything on Ghost of Tsushima I I've heard about that yeah is that a PlayStation exclusive I don't know I think it's I think it might be I really hope it's not but, I've heard um, nothing but good things about it. it. It's like it is a cinematic experience as well, wow. and the, there's an equally like the camera mode. Sometimes I'll be like, oh, I need to take a picture, and then it'll be like 20 minutes later while I'm still messing with like the different <laughs> settings, and I'm like, okay, I need to like do this mission now, so I just need to take the yeah, picture, yeah. and it ends up just being like super shitty because I have like 30 filters on it, and I've adjusted like yeah. everything. Um, you can even you can play the game and like. There's like a black and white mode, so it's like an old like samurai film. Like Kurosawa. Yeah, like original, like you know, you could do either subtitles or, or dubbed. I'm playing through yeah. it just regular, like just like dubbed. Hold up, is the whole game in Japanese? It is if you choose that option. Oh, okay. But um, I feel like I'd want to like play the whole thing through Japanese with English subtitles. Yeah, I'm. I can't read that well, so um, I, I'm just doing it in in, in uh, English dub yeah. with the regular, not like black and white. I'll yeah. do that eventually, but I just feel like hearing that language and hearing their accents would definitely help me, like putting them. Oh yeah. yeah, definitely. It's like it's like a common, commonly agreed upon thing that like Japanese voice acting is like way better than like English voice acting. The same with like anime stuff. Yeah, it's like, I mean, personally, I don't discriminate based on whether you want to watch subtitle or dub. Right, yeah. And I will choose dub a lot just because it's so much easier because mm-hmm. I don't have to read. Um, and I'm such a slow reader. I think I have like a like a second grade reading level. Okay, that's a bit <laughs> of an over-exaggeration, but still, that's what it feels like sometimes. Mm-hmm. But um, That's cool. Yeah. That's really cool. It's that. Thank you for listening. If you're a first-generation student or faculty member at the University of Portland who is interested in speaking on this podcast, particularly with a friend, classmate, or mentor of yours who is also first-gen, don't hesitate to reach out to John and Norman to schedule a time and place to record. Their emails are heartj22 at up.edu and hilker22 at up.edu. Support for this podcast comes from the Public Research Fellowship Program and the First Generation Program of the University of Portland's Shepherds Academic Resource Center. The FGN experience is written and directed by Melanie Mwabai, 
Editing and sound by Jonathan Hart and Norman Hilker. Funding provided by the Public Research Fellowship Program.